I'm Liza. I'm Riss. I'm Vanita. And you're listening to the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Some Harry Styles news. The amazing, wonderful Love on Tour has come to an end after, what was it, 42 shows? Yeah. I think it was somewhere around that. But that's a lot. That's a lot of shows, a lot of outfits. He probably played Kiwi about three times every night, so... 40 40-ish times three that's 120 that's a lot of kiwis wait why did he play it three times every night i don't know he's just always playing it over and over and over again does he really yes that's so weird you didn't know that no <laughs> he sings that song like three or four times a night i don't hate that hey i don't know how he does it that sounds <laughs> a lot i did not know that about him and i i think he i mean okay I'm not sure. I think he does it, like, in a row. Like, he plays that song (laughs) one after the other, all in a row. I don't know if I believe... I feel like you're messing with me. Look it up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I swear to God. Or, actually, I literally think I just sent you a TikTok, and the girl's like, you could see the moment he decided to play Kiwi again. (laughs) What the What a little... Oh, my God. Harry Styles playing Kiwi three times in a row. (laughs) I don't know why he does that, but he does. That's so weird. Um, I think the best outfits of his whole tour were like the last five outfits. So good. Okay, but it does kind of like make me mad. Okay. Especially like the LA outfits. Mm-hmm. Was were there two nights in LA? I think there was two nights. Either yeah. way. Those outfits were supreme. And why? What? Why did he like saved those outfits for LA because all the other celebrities were going to be there. I see you, Harry. No. You knew Lizzo was going to be there. You were True. like, mm, my girl. You got all the fashion like people there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So if you heard us in the intro when we introduced ourselves, there were three people here. When does that ever happen? Who? Like who? one, four? Weird. Maybe it's a ghost. Super weird. I wonder who she is. <laughs> It, it's kind of a ghost. It's like a ghost of middle school past. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it's kind yeah. of a ghost because I part-time live in your house. So Very much so. <laughs> Vanita is here with us and you guys don't know who that is. So why don't you tell the people who you are? So my name is Vanita. <laughs> I am Marissa's friend from middle school, technically fifth grade, because she shadowed me at our school before she came. Um, and I'm so thankful <laughs> that she came because it made the middle school experience much better. Um, I can't say it was a good experience, but it was better because she was there. <laughs> I did not go to the same high school or college as Marissa, but we live like 10 minutes away from each other. So I see her every time I come home. I went to Kenyon College, which is a small school in Ohio. It's actually really big 
for writing and like literature and stuff. But funny enough, I did not do any of that while I was there. <laughs> I was a psych major. I did a history minor with an Asian studies concentration. Yeah, I, I guess like for favorite genre actually of book, like very much is the same as Marissa, I like horror, but I think I'm more of like a psych horror person. I don't know if you could tell from my major. I think my relationship with like English and literature and stuff is interesting because if you, like if people talk about like if you're like an English person versus like a math person, I was like always an English person all the way. Like I was barely ever good at math except for like maybe algebra. And like ever since then, I've just been like an English person but I'm also the kind of reader where I'm like, if I'm forced to do it, I don't enjoy doing it, which is like purposefully why I didn't take any classes with literature, which I like sometimes think about. I'm like, oh, that could have been fun like in college. But like, I know that if I had to write the essay like every single week, like I knew that my school did, like I would have lost my mind and I probably realistically wouldn't have read the books. And I know that I probably would have liked the books, but I don't think I would have read them. I really like English and honestly like this podcast has helped me quite a bit getting back into reading and stuff which I've always been trying to do I just like don't like I'm always making excuses for not having time or whatever no like I there's always like 30 minutes in a day to read and so I'm like I just read before bed now and it's it's been really nice I've been like getting into a lot of books again and I I'm like now I'm an adult reader I can read adult books <laughs> you know I can like think about things and I'm also unemployed so I have nothing else to do <laughs> so that's a little bit about me nice we like that do you have a favorite book I have like a few books that I really like I think that I haven't read enough books to really have a favorite book but probably one of the books series that got me into reading when I was a kid a lot of people like grew up reading like Harry Potter and that was kind of their like literature awakening for me it was a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket aka Daniel Handler I think is his name and that book series I loved so much I read it twice when I was a kid um, and I actually just reread it recently because I was like, I want to experience that magic <laughs> as a kid because it's like a mystery. But like, I think it's kind of what got me a little bit into the horror, like psych stuff, because like it's a mystery, but it's super messed up. Like I don't know if you've, any of you have ever, ever read it, but like the kids are like one's an infant. The oldest one is like 14 years old and then the other one's like 12 and their parents die in a fire and that's how the book starts. <laughs> so it's like after that they go on a series of unfortunate events where people keep trying to kill them <laughs> or marry them or do something so they can get their money because they're like rich kids. It's super creepy. <laughs> but ever since then I've I've only been into like when I consume like media I'm always like like my shows, I don't like sitcoms very much. They're too calm. <laughs> I only like shows like Criminal Minds and Law and Order SVU and like Handmaid's Tale, like things that are just messed up. <laughs> so I like that. And this actually introduced me to like body horror. I haven't read any yet, but I do want to read Tender is the Flesh um, since you talked about it because I was like, that sounds horrible and I want to read it so bad um but that's probably my favorite book series I also really like um The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy I think that's a super cool book and yeah I don't know if I would say I have like a specific favorite but I like books <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's Vanita. Those are a couple fun facts about her. Yeah. And why don't we hop into what today's episode is about? So today we're going to be doing historical fiction. Yay. Yay. I read The Mistress of the Art of Death by Ariana Franklin. Beautiful. I read The Glass Palace by Amitabh Ghosh. Wonderful. I read actually a graphic novel for you guys. Um, It's called Unterzaken by Lila Corman. And also, this is our first graphic novel that we've talked about. Yeah. But you guys won't get to hear about this graphic novel until the end, so stick around. Um, In the meantime, Vanita is going to talk um, about historical fiction a little bit, you know, what she likes about it, um, her thoughts on it, all that that fun stuff. Yes, super exciting. I love historical fiction, and I like historical fiction because I love history. If I had the time to double major, I probably would have, and I kind of regret not doing it because, I mean, I concentrated in Asia. That's, like, where a lot of my knowledge and expertise is but I think I would have loved to get more of a chance to do learn anything about like South American history African history Middle Eastern history like more in depth I never really got a chance to do that and to be fair my school didn't have as many options for that it had a few classes here and there but I just remember like there wasn't like as many history teachers who like could do that necessarily and also when they did want to like the classes would always have to get approved by the school and like they would say that there wasn't enough interest so they would tend to not do that I did go to a primarily white school and everybody was doing European history and I actually had to take a crusades class one time as part of my history minor um because I had to like diversify I had to diversify away from Asia um and I remember there was 14 people it was a seminar and for my school for a seminar that was big (laughs) for a history class like a lot of classes I was in were like five people and it was (laughs) mostly white men I (laughs) um it was it was interesting because it was also very Europe Eurocentric in in studying the Crusades, um, and I don't think I read a single thing from that class, um, and I still somehow got an A. So I don't know, goes to show. But yeah, I like looked up the definition of historical fiction like before because I was like, oh, Marcia's done this, <laughs> so let me like see if like this makes sense for me. And I think I saw like on Book Riot and like Book Read, the Goodreads, it was like the same basically. And it was describing historical fiction as a fiction that takes place in the past. And I think that that's technically true. <laughs> but I think something I thought of that I know you guys have mentioned in like podcasts before about like who like a main character can be in a book. And like sometimes you talk about like a place can be a main character. I feel like in a lot of historical fiction books, time is kind of the main character because it's like the characters in the book itself might not always even matter, especially if they're like 
fiction. Like they could be any character that the author wanted to write about, but the point is that they're living like through this certain time period and experiencing something during this time period. And I think it's kind of supposed to be like a snapshot of something in human history. I mean, a lot of books purpose is like to tell a story and oftentimes to show a perspective that hasn't been there. I think like, especially in historical fiction, because I think about the book I read specifically and like, I'm going to, I'm going to get in that book later, but I love this book for so many reasons. But yeah, I think again, like my relationship with historical fiction is the fact that like, I just love history. And I think that history is a really complicated topic and I think that it is simplified a little bit too much um and I say that because I think people think okay history is just whatever happened in the past but the reality of history is you have to look at your sources because the only thing that we know about history is what was written down or documented somehow and people are inherently biased so anything that you look at as a source of history is biased regardless of like where it's coming from. And I think that that makes things complicated because people think of history as facts, but that's not always the case, especially like, I think I was talking to Marissa about this the other day where I was like, you know, there's certain things that happened, like certain wars happened, certain like presidents were in power, like those things you can say are facts. But when you describe the events that took place, under somebody's rule or during a war or like time periods, even like those are very kind of up for debate a lot of time. And I think like that kind of stuff is always being learned about. And what I like to focus on in historical fiction is migration stories. And I think those especially people don't think about the fact that like migration is super present throughout the world. And no matter how many like laws countries put into place or like borders or anything like migration is going to continue to happen like forever I mean like think about the time when there wasn't countries and there was just kingdoms or even before then like tribal groups and nomads people were moving around all the time until they like found a place that fit them or a group of people that fit them and I think that that's just how humans work, like part of like human condition and human history. And I think like, I always think about how people say like, okay, this is where this person comes from. Like, I think use like Jesus for an example, like, you know, he was a Jew and he was also in the Middle East and people still don't like paint him in the U.S. as like being dark-skinned, which he definitely had to be. (laughs) He also could have been Black. Like nobody knows. And like, I just remember growing up in Catholic school, only seeing white Jesus and like realizing when I like learned the truth later on that I've just been lied to my whole life about like so many aspects of history. I mean, I think about like I know, like, I don't know exactly what it was like in public schools. I can't imagine it was, like, much better. But, like, learning about slavery and learning that, like, oh, yep, we enslaved people, but that was all we did. You know, they wanted to be there. They got their own houses. Right. Like, they had families. Okay. (laughs) And then you learn later, like, you know, from, uh, like, historical documents, what the truth was. And even then, it's hard to say because 
there was how many slaves do you think were really able to write about their own experiences in its totality? So it's there's so many like things about history that like people don't think about because it's never really brought up as much. And I think that that goes the same for historical fiction. And I think that really good historical fiction authors bring up small, minute things that maybe to some big researchers, like it might not matter, but in that person's day-to-day experience when they were living during this time period, that's what their life was. And it actually changes a lot perspective-wise. So yeah, I, I like historical fiction because I also think like it can introduce, teach, or like reinforce what you know about history. So I think it's like really like multi-dimensional because if you've never like learned in school or like through anywhere like about a certain time period or a certain group of peer like people, I think reading a historical fiction book about that can be a really good intro because it like you might not know what's going on, but like at least you kind of get a like a little snapshot or a glimpse of like what this perspective is and like what people might have lived through. And I think it can make people curious to like learn more. Like I know that I've gone through like, like again, like the book that I'm gonna talk about today, I read it and there was so much about it that I didn't know that later after I read it, I was like, let me Google this like real quick. Or like even during the book, I was like, let me look up what is good, like, why is this important? And you know, so there's that aspect to it. And then also, if you already know about a time period and you read like a historical fiction book, again, it can give you an idea of like what people, like actual people's experiences might've been like, you know, cause it's, it's one thing to be like the Holocaust happened, but it's another thing to have somebody who survived the Holocaust tell you about it. And I think like, that's a big deal with like historical fiction. I think it can really like shed light on like what you know people can sometimes be missing from history but yeah again I really like to read migration stories um the book that I read is essentially just one big migration story and yeah I think um I think that's that's a big part of what I have about historical fiction there are a couple things I want to say to your point to a couple of your points actually I just took notes kind of about what it would be like to write historical fiction and kind of what you should be focusing on when you do. And it really boils down to one thing. When writing historical fiction, your main job should be bringing the past to life. You should be able to put your reader into a past that a lot of people can't even really imagine. And so the couple articles that I read mainly said the same thing. And they were talking about how to use the different story elements to write historical fiction. And pretty much the most important thing is that you have to do your research. There's a difference between, you know, having a creative license and being sloppy and lazy with research. If you don't really know it, your readers are going to be able to feel that. And I think one of the most important things that we want to do as writers is have our readers believe us. If you're not doing the research enough, your readers are never going to believe you. So this kind of goes to what Vanita was talking about, how time is such an important thing. Because each of these seven elements of writing 
you're framing them around the time, around the setting. So your setting should be established ASAP. Everything else has to work within that restraint that you've set for yourself. So even if you have a character who is pushing boundaries, they are only going to be pushing boundaries for the time that they are in. So like if you're writing about women in 1901, they're not going to be wearing, a lady's not going to be wearing a miniskirt. She's just not. That's just not the way that we're going to push boundaries. It would be, she's going to be wearing, you know, to the calf, to a little bit above the ankle, something like that. So I could definitely go on. Um, I took notes on each element of story writing and I could explain how to mold that element to time, but do your research and it really shouldn't be that hard. One thing I will say, if you are anxious about, you know, the research that you're going to have to be doing, you don't want to get something wrong, something like that. And you've done all the research and you're like, literally, I'm still scared. It comes down to being authentic versus being accurate. And if people feel like the piece is authentic, then it's okay if you're a little bit lenient on the accuracy. So for example, dialogue, super important in a piece. If you used, um, if you did completely strict dialogue from a certain time period, some of those time periods, those people are talking like a completely different language, okay? So therefore your reader can get bored. It could slow them down. They can get confused. They might not know what's going on. There, There's just going to be times where instead of doing the dialogue super, super strict, the best way to do it for your reader's sake would be to throw in a couple of phrases or again, try to keep it sounding as old time-ish as possible, but still making it understandable and not letting it slow down the pace. So that would be authentic versus being completely accurate. And that's totally okay. Another thing that Vanita talked about that I wrote down as a question to myself was, what exactly is historical fact when we're so often taught such like a muddy version of history? And I kind of liked what Vanita was saying, like, if someone was president, you can't really dispute that they were president. But the rule under them as president is definitely a matter of preference, you know, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're um, a person of color or not. There's a lot of factors that go into it that could change the way people see it. And, and I mean, we do get into the question of how much historical fiction is too much fiction. And this is a question that I asked to my dad and my uncle last night. And I will ask again, and I brought it up to Liza, I will ask it again to you guys. Do we think once upon a time in Hollywood is historical fiction, even though it changes a major historical event? I'm not familiar with once upon a time in Hollywood. Is it a book or a movie? Uh, it is a movie, but he has a book. Uh, that is the same thing. I'm so guessing. what changes it? Okay, so uh, it is about the Manson murders. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sure, right, right, whatever. Right. Okay, so in Tarantino's version, okay. he has this crappy movie star living next door to Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. 
and his partner had a previous run-in with the Manson family. And so when the Manson family goes to kill Sharon Tate, Mm -hmm. they see his car and go in. And then uh, the two characters end up killing the Manson, the Manson family. And they never go and kill Sharon Tate Mm -hmm. and the Folgers heiress and all the other people. That's a good question. Because I feel like at that point, to me, that becomes fiction. Yeah. Because that didn't happen. And like, there's, I think the other thing too that you're mentioning about like doing your research, like again, with like history, you can really only base things off of things that have been documented, um, which is why we get such a skewed version of history because it depends on who was able to document anything. And that was very well documented. (laughs) So there's no question of like, did they die trying to kill Sharon Tate? No, they didn't. They killed Sharon Tate. Right. And so I think like at that point, that's, I think that if you change something that large, the whole thing is fiction. Mm -hmm. Because like, there's a difference between that and then just telling the story of what happened. It almost feels like fan fiction, even though that sounds like such like a horrible thing to say because it's like about the Manson family. Um, and I know people were upset too when he made the story to begin with because it is pretty like disrespectful. I don't consume any Tarantino media. I've never seen a Tarantino film and I don't plan on it, but I knew that about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And at first I thought, I was like, I guess technically it's historical fiction because when I was doing like research for the episode, I was like kind of actually surprised to find out that now historical fiction, and this has always been the case, but like it just feels weird to think about it, um, can apply to anything, at least for some qualifications for like awards and stuff like that. Fiction awards needs to take place during a time 30 years prior to when the book was published. And so at first, when you were asking me about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was just thinking about it in general, I was like, I guess it's historical fiction because it took place 30 more than 30 years ago. But at the same time, I'm like, I agree with Vanita. I'm like, it's definitely just fiction at that point because you changed such a big thing. And then that makes me think more about what I was thinking about in terms of qualifications for historical fiction, because I was thinking of like Kindred by Octavia Butler and uh, Outlander by Diana Gabaldon, both of which feature time travel to different time periods, the character in Kindred travels back to the time of slavery. That book is considered, I believe, science fiction. I don't know what Outlander is. I would not call it science fiction, but is it historical fiction? When I was picking a book to do, I was like, I wasn't gonna do either of those because I have read them before, but I was also like thinking about it. I was like, is this historical, fiction even though it has the driving plot point time travel is something that could like has never happened and probably will never happen but at the same time I feel like both Outlander and Kindred are more historically accurate than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because when you take out the time travel and you're just in the time periods that the women in the books go to both of those authors clearly did a fair amount of research to portray the time. And so I'm like, I don't know, like what, in that case, that adds, I feel like even another layer onto what is historical fiction at that point. 
<laughs> I think at that point, like, you could even argue that, like, a book with time travel, if you're traveling, like, to a certain period of time, can still be historical fiction because, like, as long as what you're getting right is the stuff that's happening in the time period, like, you could almost argue, like, I obviously did not go to school for this, so I don't always, like, know the exact words for the literary stuff to use, but, like, you could almost argue that that's, like, a way to use form to, like, push the story along instead of, like, describing, like, I feel like if it doesn't mess with the historical accuracy um, or authenticity, as Marissa was saying, then, like, you could still say that's historical fiction. Now, if you're saying that like Harriet Tubman was doing time travel, I think like you couldn't get away with that. Right. But like, I think that like, and I haven't read the book, so I'm not fully sure. But if she's just going to like these time periods and then there's some episode or some sort of thing that happens, but it's historically accurate, I think you could still like kind of claim that there. I think with the, obviously with the issue with the movie is that like, that just didn't happen and we know it didn't happen so at that point it's just it's barely like history because you can't call that history but i don't know i guess some people could argue against that too we covered a lot mm-hmm. i think so too if you're writing historical fiction how about walk away from the stereotypes mm-hmm. don't use them how about use your common sense and don't do that. Do your research. Do your research. Sometimes even if you can't find a lot of a certain perspective, usually there's at least one thing out there in the world. So if you're gonna write somebody's perspective, find that one thing. Yes. Even if it takes years, it's important to the integrity of the history, especially if you're writing about marginalized people. And also, we are so fortunate as writers to have the internet. So many things are right at our fingertips. Reach out to someone else. If you Mm -hmm. find someone who is a professional in a certain category that you're going to be writing about, uh, reach out to them because they, I'm sure, will be so glad to give you any information and talk about something that they probably love talking about. So, Reach out to them and get your information from them. That would be cool. You could do that. That's fair. That's not cheating. So let's hop into book reviews. To start off, I read The Glass Palace by Amitav Ghosh. And this book is super important to me. So I read this book the first time in a class with my professor who's also kind of like my mentor in life in general um her name is Wendy Singer and I love her so much she did Indian history at Kenyon she was a uh, an Indian historian and she gave me everything that I needed in history that I was not finding elsewhere like I mentioned before in schools like there was rarely any non-Eurocentric history being taught or non-US centric. So I remember going to college and having this desire to learn about India. Like that's my cultural heritage. And I was like, that's it. Like I'm gonna take classes about India, about Hinduism, about all these things. Cause I, I need to know other than what my parents can teach me. And I took this seminar with her, I think my sophomore year, and it was called Asians in Diaspora. And this class 
I think like single-handedly changed my life because it was a class about Asian migration within Asia. So the point of the class was that the West was like essentially not a part of the equation or it wasn't centralized. And I think that that was really important because like almost every history class that you kind of take, even if it's about a different continent other than Europe or like North America, you still have to learn about the West. And sometimes the West is so centralized, even if it's about a different continent. And this class wasn't like that. We talked about migration patterns within Asia and Asia is a huge place. So it's like, that is so much history right there. And this was actually one of the books that we read for that class. So this is like a book where colonialism exists because it's part of the history, but it's, it's not the central point of the book. I would argue it's like kind of a peripheral storyline until like the end, sort of. Basically this book is like spans a century's worth of time. Um, and it starts with this character named Raj Kumar. He's 11 years old and he's from India, but his entire family, he lives in, I believe it's Calcutta. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's from that area. And his entire family dies from a plague. His mother is the last to die and he's on this boat with her when she passes away this kind of starts his life of like being a migrant because at this point you know they were heading somewhere but now he has no reason to go there because he has he's just free to do whatever he wants because he's alone now so instead of going to whatever place in India he was going to go to he ends up going to first Burma which is now Uh, Myanmar but in the book it's referred to as Burma and he goes to Burma he ends up traveling back at another point to India then he goes to um, what was known in the book as British Malaya which is essentially the area where Singapore is um, the that peninsula and like back and forth back and forth it's this entire story of migration and it's not just his migration because the book is like introduced with him, but there's so many characters. And even sometimes it gets kind of hard to follow how many characters there are. But I think it was purposeful because he wasn't really supposed to be the main character, but he is kind of who Gosh like starts off with to kind of set the scene for what, what is going on here. So for the scale, I think this will kind of help go over some of my other thoughts about the book. But I said for readability, I gave it a nine because the first time I read this book, I, like I said, I have always struggled to read books for classes. Like I never would get through them. I'd maybe get through half or I wouldn't finish them. But this book, I got through the whole thing and I was really looking forward to talking about it every time we got to class. And this is like a 500 page book. Like this is not a light read (laughs) by any means. And it's super confusing, especially if you don't know anything about the time. But I think that's another thing about historical fiction books is it's like a good historical fiction author will not explain to you what's going on. Because the reality of history too is that like, we're always living in history. Like this is going to be talked about later as like, I don't know, like the pandemic times or whatever. But like at the time, these people don't know that. Like we don't know what this time period is going to be referred to. We know now, like for example, in this book, they're living through like the third Burma war or also known as the Anglo-Burmese war. And they weren't calling it that at the time. Like that's not what the name was. But yeah, I just felt like it was super 
super interesting like I, I just always wanted to keep going past like the desired reading slots or whatever that she'd give us for class for language I also gave it a nine he mixes art with the historical fiction which I think is so pretty like I always thought that with literary books it was always about the language for me like how they wrote a book but I always, I never thought that you could do that with like a history book and I think that there's like a few lines that I just wanted to like mention because I was like how how did he write this how did he think to like do this okay so at one point he's talking about this king who has been exiled from his country and there's this one line where he says it's at the end of a chapter and he says in this room the hours would accumulate like grains of sand until they buried him and when I read that the first time I was like that is such a descriptive yet non-descriptive explanation of how this king must have felt like it made me feel what this guy was feeling and I was not in the same situation as him whatsoever (laughs) um there's another point where the author is talking about teak which is a type of timber which was a big point of this colonialism so essentially this is the point where the British Raj colonized Myanmar Uh, because they wanted to extract rubber and teak from the country, so raw resources. And there's this part that Ghosh writes where he says, the mint leaf was the size of Rajkumar's thumb, while the other would have covered an elephant's footprint. One was a weed that served a flavored soup, while the other came from a tree that had felled dynasties, caused invasions, created fortunes, brought a new way of life into being. Yet even Rajkumar, who was in no way inclined to indulge the far-fetched or fanciful, had to admit that between the faint hairiness of the one and the bristling, coarse-textured fur of the other, there was an unmistakable kinship, a palpably familial link. So that's just such an interesting way to talk about baseline timber and like the importance that timber played in destroying lives essentially so I was I remember just reading this book and being like oh my god like I don't know how he did that but he just wrote something that beautiful and so sad at the same time I omitted form I think he writes very (laughs) straightforward shelf worthy read again I I said an eight because I think you could read this so many times and still some learn something new to it, but I could also see not reading it multiple times because it is 500 pages. So it's kind of like you'd have to dedicate your time reading this plot. I said eight because I think it's a really interesting plot, but again, like I almost feel like what's happening with these characters it's more about the time period that they're in rather than what's going on with the characters. So I think he uses the plot as a descriptor of the history because Raj Kumar's wife actually ends up being a woman from Burma. It's kind of representing that migratory pattern through characters because they're not from the same place. But the funny thing about them is that like, His wife, Dolly, ends up in India while he's in Burma. So they're kind of in opposite places. And then they get married. And then they're like, it's, I don't know. (laughs) It's just really interesting because I feel like he uses the plot as a point to talk about 
the history. For characterization, I gave it a six because I felt like they were good characters, but I wasn't connected to them. And I think, again, like this was the point. And I think Gauche writes characters believably and realistically because he doesn't make them all good people. Like Rajkumar is probably one of the first characters you meet and morally you could argue he's not a good person because of like a lot of the actions he takes in the book but like it was believable like it was like very realistic of who he probably like it made sense what he did for the time period that he was in like I think that Ghosh really kept the like story to like this eight is basically between the 1880s to like the 1980s sort of yeah I feel like I wasn't really rooting for anybody like I, I wasn't really like oh I, I hope like no one dies like I was just like they're there and I think in a way I became attached to them just because of the fact that I spent 500 pages with them so like now like in the end with whatever does happen to them I'm like well that kind of sucks because how did I how do I just like deal with the fact that I've known essentially there because you start off Rajkumar's 11 and the book ends where he's like an old man so it's like a very like you've lived his whole life with him um so I think that's a, a really special part of the book but I feel like I was kind of Stockholm syndrome <laughs> into like wanting to care about the characters I feel like I didn't really like them but I wanted to care about them due to the nature of the book but yeah, I think this book is a super interesting way to learn about this war that I had had no idea had happened. I knew a lot about Indian migration at this point, but I didn't know about like the history of Myanmar to this extent and to this past. I didn't know their colonial history as much as I knew other countries' colonial histories. So I think it was really interesting to see like during a time of war, how migration kind of occurred and, and how like part of the book also, this isn't really like a main plot point, but it goes into this dilemma that like a lot of, Indian soldiers had during the war because India was colonized by the British they were on the British colonizers quote-unquote side so there was a many many Indian soldiers who were actively part of colonialization because they were the forces that were closest to a lot of these other countries so like the British would only send like their own soldiers to certain places because at the end of the day, if you're colonizing a place, you're sapping its resources, you also don't care about the people. So you're recruiting them into your army and using them to continue to like gain more as a colonial power. And it kind of goes into the dilemma that like some of these Indian soldiers have of like they have an awareness of what they're doing, but at the same time, they don't really know what else to do because at the time it was a big thing to be part of the army because you get money you get a pension you can support your family so for them it's like okay you're a small village boy and you have no other way to make money and provide for your family other than agriculture which in India everybody is is doing that so it's like you're not really making that much money off of it but being an army person just this huge thing so 
I think Ghosh does really good describing and going through dilemmas without picking a side. He never says which person or side is right or wrong. He just kind of delivers and like lets you make a decision for yourself, which is why I really like his writing. I also, there was like, I didn't get to read the entirety of um, like the interviews in the back, but there was like this one quote that Ghosh talked about in an interview and it's like written in the back of the book and I think it's so interesting and I think it's a really good evaluation of the book and he says one can examine the truths of individuals in history definitely more completely in fiction than one can in history which I thought was a super interesting thing to say and like the more I think about it the more I agree with him because again like history is what we claim to be facts but often is fiction anyway depending on who's writing it and what their motives are. But yeah, that was The Glass Palace. If you have the time in your life at any point, anybody out there, I would definitely read this book. If you have any interest in colonial history in Southeast Asia or South Asia, like read this book. And he has so many other books. He has like a trilogy about the opium wars. It's like, he's just such a good author <laughs> and I think he writes so well that you're going to forget that it's a 500 page book snaps for that we like that yeah guys instead of rereading Harry Potter for the 80th time read that book much shorter than the whole Harry Potter series mm-hmm. do it <laughs> um and if you don't think that that book sounds right for you go through his books he has quite a few I've looked at them I've looked at his list of books that do sound really interesting and why not learn something? What a great way to learn. Like I like that that was a book in your history class, not in a literature class. Like they should do that more because it seems like you can learn just as much about history if you're reading the right kind of historical fiction and right if the person is a good author as well. But that's just like really cool. Also, I was just thinking this too. What a cool set of credentials you have, Benita, to analyze books because a psych major and a history minor is like such a good combination to analyze literature, specifically historical fiction, but kind of like generally, because then you have like the understanding of history and how history operates and, you know, talking about, like, who's writing the history, that whole, like, history, is it written, who, what are the motives behind who wrote that history down, but then also, like, the analysis of how people work, mm-hmm. I just thought that was cool, hearing you talk Thank about you. the characters and the book in that way. I thank God every day that he made me a woman of color because I think that that truly <laughs> gives me a perspective that, like, even if I had those educational backgrounds, like, I couldn't get, like, as much out of it as I can because I see things from a marginalized perspective and I feel like I'm it it's really it's really beneficial in a lot of ways to be a person of color for a number of reasons but it's also really cool because like in the U.S. being a person of color and then being marginalized kind of you know for better or for worse puts you together with other marginalized people that you might not even have the same identity as Mm -hmm. but it's almost like being put in a classroom together because you kind of like then get exposed to them and you learn more 
So it's like, I even have all of these other perspectives that like, otherwise, if I had been around Indian people my entire life, I probably would have never seen or like Mm -hmm. heard of or like, you know, like I get to learn about indigenous people, I get to learn about black women, I get to learn about like, you know, Latina women. And Mm -hmm. it's like learning about people's experiences is probably like one of the most amazing things that I think I was gifted being a, a woman of color, especially. Yeah, I think that it, it makes me more interested and, and focused on those experiences and those lives because it's like, I notice how they're not represented in sight. I notice how they're not represented in history. And it gives me an opportunity to then be able to represent them or find ways for them to be represented. And so I think that's honestly a gift for me. So my book was The Mistress of the Art of Death by Ariana Franklin. And I have this book because it's one of my mom's favorite books. And she was like, you have to read it. Um, And so that's always fun. I really like reading my mom and dad's favorite books because they do that to me quite often. They'll just like be like, here you go. Now you read this. And I'm like, okay. Um, But they have good taste. They have very different tastes from each other, but both things that They both like books that I also end up liking. And yeah, this author, Ariana Franklin, um, is she has passed away. She was English. And this book is actually a series. I think they can stand alone. But like this character, who's the main character, um, has her own series. And Franklin passed away and her daughter finished the series for her, which is sweet. But she also wrote under different names because she wrote in different genres. So this is kind of her historical fiction genre and it's classified as historical fiction and has won historical fiction awards, but it also is classified as true, as not true crime, as mystery or crime, just like general crime, which I think is kind of fun. Um, And it does kind of read like a mystery intertwined with the historical fiction aspect of it, which was kind of fun. But yeah, basically it takes place in the 12th century and it follows a woman named Adelia who is a doctor, but specifically a doctor to the dead. Um, So she's essentially a coroner. She kind of has to hide the fact that she is a doctor because of the times they were in, but both of her partners also had their own set of struggles being doctors because her one partner is named Simon and he's Jewish. And then her other partner, who's actually pretends to be the doctor at times, even though really he's kind of like, he's almost like she pretends to be his assistant, but the three of them are traveling as um, equals to each other, but they have to kind of take on different roles. But uh, Mansur is a Moor, um, which in this time period applied to people from Africa and North Africa or the Middle East. And he is Muslim. So she is a a woman. You have a woman, a Jewish guy, and a brown-skinned Muslim guy who have to go to England and deal with this whole set of things that's happening there. Um, And that was one thing. So give a little more background. Ariana Franklin was a student of medieval times. Um, So she has sort of the background in medieval history. And I was like trying to think about it 
the actual events of the story are based somewhat in, in fact, because it takes place in England where there was a murder of a young boy in real life. His name was William of Norwich, but in the book, it's Peter of Trumpington. This was in 1144, and the people of the area he was from in Norwich blamed it on a community of Jews that lived in the town. And I think that did happen quite often. Um, I think throughout history, marginalized groups were often used as like a scapegoat for crimes or any sort of whatever sort of misfortune was happening at the time. Uh, the Christians or white folks would blame it on the other. And so in this book, there is a murder and then it turns into a string of murders, almost more like serial killing that is being blamed on the Jewish community members of this specific section of England. And so Adelia, Simon and Mansur are brought in to I kind of investigate the murder and because Adelia has is essentially a coroner she can kind of figure out how people died and then hopefully figure out I won't give any spoilers but who did the killing and I don't know so that is kind of the portion of it that is based in fact otherwise I'm not sure how accurate this could be I don't know if they had the technology or just like the know back then to be able to figure out how someone died. But I do know that they were starting to get more of an understanding of medicine in certain parts of Europe, not England, because England was actually late to the party in terms of modernity. But Mansur, Simon and Adelia are actually from Italy. So I think, and, and she, in the author's note too, she says, it is almost impossible to write a comprehensible story set in the 12th century without becoming anachronistic, in part at least. To avoid confusion, I've used modern names and terms. And she kind of goes into, which I'll get into a little bit more later when I talk about the style, but like, I think she definitely took her liberties in certain places, but she does talk about um, some of the science behind the medicine or the science behind the logic that the three main characters are using um, that does feel like it would be, it, it would have been the science that they would have had in that time period. And the other thing I was thinking about, I was like, would it have even been safe for a Jewish man, a Muslim man, and a woman to be traveling in a place like England, even if Italy was more modern in their thinking at this time like I don't even know how it would how it would have been possible for these three people to have been safe um but they're not safe and I think that um Ariana Franklin even if she did take liberties in in having this kind of happen in the first place made that clear and the sort of different sets of things that they face make sense historically to like, even if you're like, I don't even know how a woman would have been a doctor at this time. I have these books, both of which are really cool. One is called Witches, Midwives and Nurses, and the other is called Caliban and the Witch. Um, They're both nonfiction and I recommend them, but they're sort of about how women healers or women who knew anything about science 
um, or women who were religion less, which um, the main character in this book is, she says like multiple times that she believes in science and not anything otherwise, but they were often like accused of witchcraft. Um, And so I do think that even if she's like spinning this tale that is sort of like more dramatic for the true crime aspect of it, she she is bringing in stuff that feels like it makes it more historically accurate. And the other thing I do commend her for is that she is like diversifying telling stories from a time period that you just don't really see. You don't see stories about Jewish people, Muslim, black and brown people, women from the 12th century. And when you do, they do like they feel a lot of other medieval stories that have female protagonists that come to mind feel like they're just not. I don't know almost like sensationalized and not actually talking about, okay, yeah, this is what women in this time period had to deal with. It wasn't all like, you know, being a princess and this, that, and the other. So that's a little bit of the historical fiction background on Mistress of the Art of Death. I'll get into my scale. For readability, I gave this book a seven. There was definitely sections of it that were slower, but all in all, this kind of reminds me of like, I haven't read a true crime type of thing since. Dogtown, which was the first book I discussed on the podcast, and it was nonfiction. But there is something really, I mean, I guess the Agatha Christie was true crime too, but like there's something about a mystery that, like, as long as you're a talented writer, it creates like it's just so much fun to read. And I definitely had that experience with this book. There was enough, and I'll get into this, I guess, a little bit with plot too, but there was like enough twists and turns and intrigue, mystery, suspense, um, that this was just like a fun book to read. In terms of the language and style, I gave this book a 6.5. This was something I was kind of like, first of all, I do think that Franklin is a very talented writer and there were moments that I really liked where, so basically it is from a third person perspective and I read a book not too long ago called Ariadne, um, which is sort of more mythology than historical fiction. But I don't know why this reminded me of it, but I just saw this as like a better version of that because she did this third person, right? But she got close to the character's thoughts and we were in their heads enough, especially Adelia's, that it almost at times felt like first person but not too much. I think I don't like books that are too much in the first. I don't like books that are all in one person's or it depends, but there are times where I don't like books that are too much in one person's head. I'm always like, I need to see other stuff that's going on. And I think the choice to have us stay close to this protagonist, but be able to zoom out with that third person perspective and get close to some of the other characters at times, um, was really smart. And I, I did like a lot of her zooming out sort of descriptions better than some of the more interior thoughts. I just, I, there's something about sometimes interiority can feel a little bit cheesy, almost specifically when it's like historical. It depends on the time. But because this was medieval times too, I think that's why I was comparing it to like the book Ariadne, which is like myth, but it's Greek 
ancient Greek times. Like there's something that just feels like, okay, what's, what's going on here. Um, but I did not have as that much of an experience of being like, I don't like that with this book as I have with other books in the past. Um, so I did really appreciate that. And the other thing was with this book that basically I looked it up and this is what I thought. They didn't really speak English in England in the 12th century. They spoke Middle English and then uh, some people would speak Latin. Some people at the time would speak French. I think at times we're supposed to think that Adelia, Simon and Mansur are speaking Latin or like Italian to each other. And it's just like, because of the sake of the book, it is translated into English. But I was like this, sometimes the dialogue felt unrealistic. And that was because it was like, she's not going to write a book in middle English. All that being said, I personally feel like she may have done the best she could in creating dialogue that felt authentic to medieval times, again, without feeling cheesy and without having to use Middle English that the average English reader wouldn't be able to understand. And I don't know, I feel like a a bit of research may have gone into this too with what the different, there's almost a different speech pattern between the royal people in England, the Jewish people, the like poor people of the town, um, Adelia, Simon and Mansur, who do come from Italy, but obviously Mansur also speaks Arabic. She was able to grasp different speech patterns that although it was almost certainly historically inaccurate, um, it felt authentic. Um, and like I said, cause kind of felt like it was the best she could have done given the circumstances I'm omitting form because it was very straightforward, just like chapter by chapter, um, everything unraveling for shelf worthiness. I gave this a 6.5. Um, like I said, I think this was a good read and I don't know if I'll get around to it soon, but I, like I said, it's a series and it is the kind of book that I feel like I kind of want to read the rest of the series. So I feel like that's an indicator of whether it should be on your shelf or not. For plot, I gave this book a 7.5. Like I said, I thought there were a lot of, a lot of good twists and turns and she was just really good at moving the plot along. And I think too, because this takes place in medieval times, I feel like it could have been so dry. I don't know. Like, I don't really want to hang out in England in 1144. Like what? Like, I do not want to do that. But I think she did a good job with the stakes and sort of livening things up. And I'll get into this a little bit more with characterization, but I think it helps that the characters are pretty cool. Um, I will say too, that I love, um, like the dead, like in another life, I would have loved to be a coroner or a mortician or something. And so I thought the parts where they're actually examining the dead bodies and her descriptions of that were really interesting. And she likely put a lot of research into that aspect of it too. And the other thing that, so I liked that. I liked that it's a murder mystery but I think the other thing too is that, and I'll get into this when, like repeating myself here, but when I talk about characterization that like, I thought Adelia was really cool. Um, and I thought Simon and Mansur were really cool too. And I just like appreciated, even if she had to like take certain liberties because we have, we don't have a lot of documentation to how 
women, Jews, and Muslim people would have, we don't have a lot of documentation about them in this time because like we keep saying, history is written by the victors and like people were, did not care um, what like marginalized people were doing at this time. But I, I, so even if she had to take certain liberties, I, I really appreciated the perspective. And I thought, I thought too, that she did a good job with the conflict of the story and the hate that was driven towards the Jewish people. But also, I don't think that she is Jewish, but I I felt as someone who is Jewish that she did a good job of incorporating accurate Jewish culture. Um, Like there is this part where they're preparing the body, um, the body of a dead person. And she did a good job explaining what Jews have to do with a dead body, where someone who is Jewish and is familiar um, with some of those sort of cultural practices was like, yes, that's true. But also somebody who's not Jewish would be like, oh, interesting. Like I'm learning something here. Um, So again, it shows research. And I just also thought it was kind of cool because like, I guess I knew that there was Jews in England in the 12th century, but it's just not something that occurs to you. And so I just thought what an interesting backdrop she chose and the fact that it was based on true events. It was one of those things like, oh, you learn something new every day. Like I literally like had no clue. So that was just like interesting part of the plot to experience too. And then lastly, for characterization, I gave this book a seven. I did think the characters were very authentic. And again, it's like you do get, you get rather close to a few of them, but because it's in the third person, not as much as like when Benita was saying, like, because there's so many characters in your book and this, there's not like, there's, I don't, at least it doesn't seem like there's not nearly as many, but it's like, it almost offered an opportunity not to get too close to any of them because it was just like, here I am, like, you're not as much experiencing it with somebody for this book, but watching it unfold, if that makes sense. This is all to say, I don't know if this was the kind of book where you'd be like, oh, I loved these characters. Like, I love them so much. I miss them now that the book is over. But I kept thinking to myself when I was reading it, I have so much respect for these characters. And I feel like an admiration, which you often experience with first person stories or Marissa and I have talked about this before too, with YA for some reason, there's more of an admiration for characters that I feel like you don't find as much in adult fiction. But in adult fiction, you can develop this kind of respect for the characters you just spent 300 or so pages with. And that's very much how I felt about Adelia, Simon, and Mansur. But I also think the other characters in the story were really interesting, even like the more villainous characters. There's obviously a ton of anti-Semitism and xenophobia in the book. Um, And those villainous characters that are saying these really like horrid and sexist characters too, um, that are saying these like really terrible things are like, you hate, you don't like them, but it was really interesting to see. And it felt vivid, I guess, um, which is everything that kind of needs to go into good characterization. So yeah, that was my thoughts on Mistress of the Art of Death. Definitely historical fiction, but quite different than Vanita's. And I think from 
different from Marissa's too. Different kind of historical fiction. No, yeah, that did sound really interesting, especially for a book about that time period. I think it's interesting that like this female character has all this like information about like being like a coroner, like science and all this. I think it's cool that she knows all this stuff. I do know that like in North Africa and like the Middle East, they very early on had like, I mean, rudimentary, but good knowledge about like the body and like systems in the body. Like they were doing like brain surgery in Egypt in like so like centuries ago, like even before the 11th like century. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, wait a minute this lady (laughs) knows all this stuff where'd she get that knowledge (laughs) that they have it that like her family specific she's from like a foster family and that they were kind of godless and Mm -hmm. so they educate like she was introduced to science and education and so she is trained to be a doctor and that's why I was like I don't know if that would have like I'm not we know there was female healers at the time but we don't know if she would have actually been educated in science. It'd be cool if that did happen. Tell us about your book, Marissa. I'm gonna. Let's talk about it. I read Unterzaken by Leela Corman. And as I said, it, it is a graphic novel. And it is about two immigrant twins growing up in New York City in the early 1900s, specifically the Lower East Side, you guys didn't know according to this book that was a jewish neighborhood so one of the twins her name's fania she witnesses an abortion gone wrong um and she ends up meeting bronia the lady doctor um and then the other twin esther um she meets an escort who then introduces her to miss lucille who is the owner of a burlesque club in a brothel. And as the story goes on, these two twins' lives begin to diverge as they move further towards two different facets of womanhood in the 1910s to 1930s-ish. Besides just feminist things and the kind of double-edged sword that it is of being a woman, there's also a lot of immigration uh, they live in, like I said, a Jewish neighborhood in New York City, and they are Jewish. I'm going to get into more of that a little bit later. I will say, if you are interested in reading this book, I'm going to give out some trigger warnings because there's a lot in here. Sexual assault, there's Jewish slurs, um, there's also violence towards women, and uh, abortion. Tread lightly, guys. If it's not your book, it's not your book. That's okay. We'll find you another. If you haven't read a graphic novel before and you like historical fiction, why don't you give this one a try? I think graphic novels are fun and they're usually a very quick read for me. So I gave this for readability an eight. Like I said, I fly through graphic novels. This book maybe took me a day. And I would say, my preference for graphic novels, I like the still moments, and that is I like the pictures that don't have words on them that are still telling you something. I think those are often super, super beautiful and super well done. 
just such like beautiful still moments no words but you still know what's going on I love those and so for this graphic novel it's packed with so much dialogue there's so much talking and words in one small frame and maybe in my personal preference not enough still moments and so for me I I gave it an eight for language and style I'd say six to a seven the time period is really heavily pushed in this there's lots of Yiddish and also weird insults and I didn't know if that was sometimes it feels like this was translated which from my understanding it is not a translated work so then I wonder if the author is just more versed in Yiddish and therefore is translating things on her own and so is literally taking like certain insults and putting it into language which like is actually kind of funny at times the author does seem to focus on Jewish heritage with her other writing too and so I think that that must be part of her style so the reason that this gets a six or seven is that graphic novels usually miss an itch for me and I don't know what it is it's and I think I've narrowed it down to two things it's either there's not enough interiority or um there's a weird point of view thing happening because if you think about point of view in graphic novels it's kind of hard like you are still seeing these things happening even if you're following one character so I don't know something about that messes with my brain and that's just a preference thing though for form okay so I gave form a nine but I'm going to use form to talk about the drawings mainly. Um, I will start off by saying it is mainly straightforward. There is in the middle of the story a kind of jump back to a different story that is not with the twins specifically, but it's nothing that we haven't seen before. It's nothing totally experimental. Um, I did want to note it, but other than that, the drawings are so good. I loved them. They're all black and white and grayscale style. I think they could be seen as like simple or strange or um, skewed, maybe minimal, which I find, yes, I love a good, beautifully drawn, completely realistic, accurate um, graphic novel, but I also really appreciate ones that, you know, aren't perfect and are a little bit silly looking. I think that there's something encouraging about that. I don't know. I, I like that. I would also say there's kind of, in quotes, unattractive things, conventionally unattractive things drawn beautifully in this book. For example, obviously this is about Jewish people and Jewish features are not conventionally attractive to people. And I think this author does them so beautifully. The two main characters have the, those beautiful, like, little hooked noses. And she definitely is playing on stereotypes. And it, it works so well. Also, bodies, naked bodies 
all throughout this book and they're still like beautiful there's this one uh image in the book where like a girl is laying on her back and obviously then her boobs are like flat and like nipples like oh uh, other ways and um it's still like I love how accurate it is I love how beautiful it is there's also a naked very hairy man in here and I'm just like beautiful he looks great I'm so like good for him these are just things that like you wouldn't think of being beautiful but when they're drawn in a book like this like for example that naked guy like in his hair all over the place I'm like wow like that is a beautiful drawing I don't know what it is but I'm I love it for shelf worthy I gave this a seven I would say this is a feminist text it's historical fiction it's a graphic novel it's a Jewish immigrant text um if you like historical fiction why not read it? Why not give it a try? It puts you in the period and it's also quickly informative, which sometimes now that I'm not in school, there are times that I'm like, uh, I feel like I need to learn something. Like, do I just go down a wiki hole? Like, I don't know what to do. But a book like this that is so quick, why not pick it up and read it and learn something? I also think it's an important women's text. The only reason I would think of that you wouldn't have this book is that it is a little bit expensive. And this is also kind of a problem that I have with graphic novels, but I suck it up because I like them. They are fairly expensive, which makes sense because these people are putting in the time of both art, meaning physical drawing or painting or whatever they do, and the words. And so it makes sense that they are often more expensive. But at the same time, like I said, this book maybe took me a day to read. So I paid $26 for like one day rather as paying $26 for a hardcover 500 page novel. And it takes me like a week. If you're not willing to spend the money, I think that it's totally okay to borrow it. But I also think that this is a book that I got this book back in um, March. This is my second time reading it. Um, And I've picked it up quite a few times since then just to flip through it and look at it. And I don't see why other people wouldn't do that also. For plot, I gave it a nine. It's sad. It's a sad book. Um, But like I always say, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read it. I loved being put in this time period in these situations, no matter how awful they were. And I mean, not only was this putting me back in the 1910s but it was putting me in New York City what did I say the Lower East Side um it was putting me in a Jewish neighborhood um it was putting me in the perspective of young women and the things that they would have to go through at that time I I really love being put into different feminist issues But it's like one thing to actually be put in those situations and learn about in 1910 what women had to do. Like I said, this book starts off with an abortion that a woman performed on herself. So I mean, some crazy stuff, some some horrible things. But I I love being put into those perspectives and, and seeing it like that and learning more about it in this way. It's also definitely a text that lays out all the roads in front of you. Like I said, about two twins, one meets the lady doctor and kind of goes down a road of men are bad and I hate men and I'm never going to get married and get pregnant. 
and you know thinking of sex as this horrible thing and then the other one goes down this road of you know wearing makeup and being in the burlesque scene and waiting on um men who are with prostitutes and getting to be in those situations and frequently having sex with men and they just go down two very different paths it's interesting how it plays out for them also okay if you're reading this book you're like halfway through it and you're like i can't believe i paid 26 dollars for this don't like it stick around till the end because this ending was very wow and it's kind of a matter of opinion what happens at the end and so it's one of those endings that you can go back and forth and discuss for so long and I love those for characterization and things I said seven these characters felt real And I think it was because there's a multitude of personalities and opinions. And you can see how everyone thinks that they're right and everyone wants to stick to their own values. It feels like realistic. I understand where everyone is coming from, but I'm like, wow. Like, can you guys just be characters and not real people for two (laughs) seconds? And also this book doesn't sugarcoat things. A character is not going to do something just because that is what the reader wants them to do, which I used to feel that feeling a lot reading YA books where I'm like, guys, just kiss, just kiss already. Just do it. And they like, don't do it. This, this book gave me that feeling where I'm like, I, can you guys just like do this? Like, just do it. And they literally cannot. But it makes sense why they don't. And and that's, people are just like that. This is one of those books where I'm like, of course, they're not going to do that. So it really feels like how real people are and their decisions, although I don't agree with all of them, don't like all of them, they make sense. And that's all I got to say about that, people, sleepy readers. When you told me historical fiction graphic novel, I was like, I don't know. How is that possible? First of all, that sounds really good. But second of all, that I realized that it's not the only historical fiction graphic novel. Because do you guys remember Mouse? And it's like M-A-U-S, I think. And it's about the Holocaust or it's about like Nazi Germany, but mice. And then there's also Persephilis. And it's a graphic novel about an Iranian girl and we shelve both of those books at work in the history section and so people do it like it's an interesting you said if you don't like historic if you don't like graphic novels but you like historical fiction to pick up that book but I also wonder if you like graphic novels and are interested in history but you don't like sometimes to read typical books it seems like there is like a whole mini genre of historical graphic novels. It is truly like such a cool way to do a historical fiction. But but yeah, um, guys, get this. Get them all. Get them all. What are you doing? (laughs) Wasting your time. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that that is that. There's nothing else to say. Nothing Nothing. going on. What are we doing next week? We're giving 
gifts to each other, the gift of literature. Um, we are going to be reading one of each other's favorite books. Yes. If you don't read a lot, you probably don't even understand how exciting that is. Sometimes there's just a book that you have and you read it and it's like you have absolutely no one to talk to about it, even though it was so amazing. Like, what do you do? I don't want to go online and talk to people about it. I want someone to read it so I can be like, like with them. Like, I want to scream about it. And this is about to happen. I'm excited. It's going to be rowdy. Oh, it's going to be so rowdy. Should we say what we're reading? Should it be a surprise? I feel like maybe it should be a surprise. (laughs) <laughs> okay surprise <laughs> thank you to Benita. Oh. yes thank you for coming thanks for having me this is fun we you have it. To plug? i have nothing to plug that i'm doing i'm just kind of living my life um if there's any employers out there who want me after hearing me talk about something i like i don't know if you employ people to talk about historical fiction maybe I'm your girl or I could just stay unemployed and be the happiest version of myself that I am but yeah nothing to plug um maybe my future book about my dad's migration story yeah which I'll give myself a time period of 10 years to write that because I think I'll need every single year so check back in with me when I'm 32 and we'll see where I'm at Oh my God, mm-hmm. don't say that. That's not, that's not 10 years from now. I know. Um, Thanks for having me. This is very fun. Of course. That was I so fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening, I guess. Thanks. We'll see you Thanks next time. Listening. We'll see you next time and comment your favorite books for your friends to read on our mm-hmm. stuff, though. Mm-hmm. Comment it on, on our social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then tag your friends in it they'll see it come to the post and then also they'll write their favorite books and then you guys have to read each other's that's the challenge Mm -hmm. so bye bye i won't be here but i'll be listening you guys will know that i'll be (laughs) listening (laughs) you can't see her but she's there but i'm there They were big dumb idiots over there in England.